Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 I'm so thankful to the Lord that we get to have church every Sunday and that we can, we can you know, study His Word and we can look to Him for wisdom and guidance. Amen. Right? Wisdom and guidance because God is wisdom and God is guidance and God is truth and God is love. God is a lot of things that He gives Himself a lot of names in the Bible. He gives himself a lot of titles. You know, the, the greatest one that I remember, you know, that he gave was I am. You know, he gave that title. He told Moses in the burning bush, I am. Tell him I am has sent you. And what did he say? And he said, I am. What is, he, what is that? I am everything and anything that you may ever need. I am. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, thank you for joining us. Um, all over the world, Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud and iTunes and podcasts or wherever you're coming from, YouTube, welcome and welcome everybody here that's in my wonderful home in McKinney, Texas. I want to join an invite to anybody that's listening out there that may be listening wherever you are. You're welcome. Come on in and join us in the house church one day and uh, we'd be glad to have you and love on you. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll uh, ask the Lord to bless our service and... Um, Hope that the Lord teaches us something. So, Lord, King of heaven and earth, thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and mercy that you pour out upon all mankind and that you continue to do that, Lord. You continue to do that. Mm. Lord, thank you that, Lord, like we're going to talk about in our message today, Lord God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. <clears throat> the only ones that ever change are us. Lord, you never change. You stay the same from the beginning to the end. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And your word never changes, and your heart never changes toward mankind. 2 Peter 3.9, Lord, your, your desire is that none should perish, and all should come to repentance, Lord. And your desire in the Old, in the old Testament, in the old, old Covenant, Lord, was that none should perish, and all will come to repentance. Your heart's cry is that mankind would stop and realize their sinfulness, and realize they can never be good enough before you in order to be saved, in order to be right before you. It's only by grace through faith, and that not of works, at least anyone should boast. Lord, so I just pray, thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to turn to you. That you give us the opportunity, Lord God, to turn to you and accept your grace and, <clears throat> and live in your mercy, Lord, and live for you. And thank you so much, Lord for your great power and for your Holy Spirit and all the things, the blessings that you give your children once they decide to follow you, once people decide to follow you. Please, I ask that you bless this message today, Lord Jesus. Bless the words that I'm going to speak. Bless the reading of your word. Help me to deliver them with power and fill with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. I pray that people all over the world, Lord God, whoever reads this or ever listens to this, Lord, excuse me, would be impacted by your words in this message today. <clears throat> I pray, Lord God, that as I speak and your Holy Spirit moves, Lord God, that you would draw all men to yourself, Lord, by this message. Thank you so much. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And Lord, keep Satan out of this place, Lord, please. Pray your holy angels would guard our minds and guard this house, Lord God, and guard those listeners online whenever or wherever they listen to this, all over the world, whenever or wherever. And the Lord, our minds will be focused on you. Hmm. Help us to focus. 
not lose our confidence, Lord, and not, not ever lose our hope. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 13 through 21 today. Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. The title of our message today, if you guys are writing it down or you keep in mental track, and he was moved with compassion for them. And he was moved with compassion for them. So I'm going to read it, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. You guys can follow along if you're reading in your word or just listen along, whatever you'd like to do. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. Verse 13. So when Jesus heard it, and that would be, since we're going forward in this, when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, I'll fill that in for you, even though that was last week. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, beside women and children. All right. Praise be to God. I love his word. I love his word. So last week, we discussed the sad ending of a great soldier, of the great soldier, John the Baptist. I don't know if you guys remember. If you, I'm not following me sequentially online. You can go back. The sad end to a great soldier was the sad end of John the Baptist, the great soldier of God. And we not only looked at the sad end of John the Baptist, the great soldier, but we also looked at a hardcore reality look of what it really means to be a Christian in this world. Since Christ left all the way up to our modern day today. We looked at how difficult it is to be a Christian. You know, after all, Jesus said, those that desire to follow after me must deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow after me. And that's not only sin in the, in the flesh that he wants us to cut out and start cutting out as we come to him, but that's also denying the flesh because, you know, people, people's reaction. He said, you know, in this world you will have trouble. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And that's what we see is, a, you know, pretty much across the board is as a large majority of the population of the world, when you start getting nitty gritty and you start really believing what the Bible says, not just, you know, some things about the Bible. When you start believing what the Bible says, people are really against you. They really don't like the things about the Bible. They, they don't like that light. They don't like the truth. They think you're dogmatic and so on and so forth. So that's what we looked at. The sad end of John the Baptist 
and the reality of being a real Christian in our world today and since Christ left and died and rose again. But believe it or not, believe it or not, there are both sad but good aspects of somebody being martyred for Christ. Believe it or not, there are both good as well as sad aspects to people being martyred for Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about some of the good ones first. And we'll end on a sad note. I should have probably done it the other way. But the good aspects. Well, think of the person that's martyred. And, and, and in fact, anybody that's not only martyred, but anybody that dies in Christ. Let's look at the good aspects of that. Number one, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So you're instantly, the moment you die, whether you're martyred or you just die in Christ, you're instantly transformed into this soul being and you instantly go to be with God forever. And you never leave. You're always in his presence for good, for all eternity, forever. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a good aspect. The good aspect is for the person. They died and now I get to be with my Jesus. Get to be with my Jesus. You're in, number two, you have complete peace and complete joy forever. Completely peaceful and completely joyful forever. Never sad, never have to cry ever again. You get this new body right now, and since the resurrection hasn't happened yet, you'll, you'll get an even newer body a little later, but you get this new body. Your soul man actually comes out of this physical tent that we have here, and you get to go to be in the presence of God in your new soul man. So just think, anybody out there that's listening, anybody that has ailments, or maybe somebody that has a disease that you haven't been able to get a cure for yet, and all the, the times that you struggle in your flesh, a bad back, or... You know, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, headaches all the time, uh, you know, whatever you may be suffering with. God can heal you of that, but we're still, we still had to suffer with him. And I've had to suffer with a lower back a long time in the past. And, I, and just think, no more suffering in the flesh ever again. No more headaches, no more migraines, no more bad backs, no more faulty kidneys, no more nothing. Gone. No more pain. No more sadness. No more suffering. No more rejection. No more hurt. No more evil. You get all these things the moment you leave this body and you go to stand before God. John the Baptist was not in heaven at the moment when he died. He had to go to Abraham's bosom, but still it was a peaceful place. It wasn't a place of torment. It was a place of peace. And he was still his new soul man, and he was still his new man. He didn't have to live in that flesh body anymore. Now he's with Christ now, and he's with God forever now. But nevertheless, no more suffering for the martyred. No more suffering for the deceased that are living in Christ. No more suffering. That's a good thing, right? That's a really good thing for the person that's gone. What's a sad aspect? Boy, oh boy, we sure miss them when they're gone. 
the people that die, the people that are, have, you know, have been martyred, whatever the case may be, however they left this earth, those of us that are left behind sure miss them an awful lot. We cry and we mourn and, you know, we know that if they lived in Christ and if they were martyred for Christ, we know that they're in peace and that is some solace for us now. But nevertheless, we still miss their presence being with us. And we shall never have that in this earthly tent again. When we go to be with them, if we stay the course and we continue out the path and we stay in Christ, then we'll be with them forever again. Different kind of relationship, but we'll still be with them forever again. But as we're, we're here in this tent, we miss them and we're saddened because it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, I hate it that they had to go. I hated that they had to leave. I wanted to be with them. I loved talking with them. Now I can't talk with them anymore. That relationship that you had with that person that you loved. Think of the last time that a close loved one of yours died. Think of the last time that somebody that you really cared about, that's no longer here, but you love them, you love spending time with them. They were your best friend or your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your grandfather. The last time somebody that you really loved and now the Lord's taken them and they're gone. Think of how sad you are right now. Think of that. How many times I've, oh Lord, I miss that person maybe. You know, you went to the Lord and you were in your morning time. How broken you were when that happened to you because you miss them really bad. Well, while your mind is on that idea, and while your heart is on that emotion of how, how you felt the last time somebody you really loved died, while you're there, while you're meditating on that point, read verse 13 again with me, up to himself. When Jesus heard it, the death of John the Baptist, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now you know, while you're on that mind and that thought and that heart, now you know how Jesus Christ felt at this very moment in time when he went away and he went away by himself to a deserted place and got in a boat and left. Jesus was feeling the same way about the death of John the Baptist. Remember, John was not only his personal herald. Remember, John was his forerunner, you know, the one to come to before Christ to say, hey, you know, make straight the path of the Lord. You know, the Savior's coming, people. Wake up. Jesus is coming, the Messiah, the Christ. He's here. He was not only his forerunner, not only his herald, but remember what I told you last week. We've studied it before. John was only born six months before Jesus. They were relatives. They were cousins. They were family members. Jesus grew up with John. Jewish community that Jesus lived in was a very close-knit community. John and Jesus spent probably a lot of time together. 
They loved one another the same way as you would love a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a nephew that you really, you know, that you grew up with and you guys had good times together and, and you know, you guys spent a lot of time. You talked together. You went for rides in your car. You played baseball together. Nevertheless, Jesus did all these things with John the Baptist. He did these things. He did things like this with John the Baptist when he was alive. So John was a very close personal relative of his. So what happens here? Jesus hears of his loved one, his relative John, dying. He gets into a boat and goes by himself to the deserted place. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? Why do you think? He's hurt. He's saddened. He needs to mourn. Think of that last time that your loved one died. What you wanted to do, you, you got away. I just, need to, I just need to be by myself. I'm, I'm hurt. God, why did they have to go? Lord, I love them so much. Now they're not here with me anymore. Lord God. This, what Jesus did here, shows us a lot about his character, doesn't it? Shows us a lot about his character. Remember, Jesus was not only 100% God, but Jesus was 100% man as well too. 100% God and 100% man. That, mean that, he, that means that he had the same emotions, the same feelings as we have today. Jesus had those same emotions and those same feelings when he was alive in this flesh. This wasn't the only time that we read about Jesus showing this kind of emotion. We have another account in, in, in the Holy Testament and in the, New, in the New Testament that talks about his uh, showing this kind of human emotional side and the death of his, close, of his close loved one friend, Lazarus, in John 11. In John 11, 3, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they call for Jesus. And they say to him, Lord, behold... The one whom you love is sick. So Jesus comes by request of his sisters. But he gets there four days after John the Baptist had died and actually been in the tomb already. So Jesus comes. He hears what, what he says. He delays a little bit. And there's a whole reason behind that. But that's not where we're focusing today. But there's a whole reason why he did that. But nevertheless, he came, but he waited a little bit longer than, he, than Mary and Martha thought he should have. And so he comes four days after Lazarus was in the grave. Martha comes to Jesus first because he had not come into the town that you know, Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in. Then she goes and calls Mary. And Mary comes and tells, and Mary, so Mary, so I'm sorry, excuse me. Then she goes and calls Mary. And, he and she tells, Martha tells Mary, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus has come. So Mary comes to Jesus along with some other Jews, and they're all mourning. They're all crying. They're all weeping. It's a, it's a, it's a mourning thing. Their, their brother had just died. Jesus' loved friend, Lazarus, had just died. Mary and Martha are saddened. Mary and her friends are all crying. They're getting together. They're crying. They're weeping. They're mourning. Mary comes to Jesus in this way. 
mourning and weeping and crying. And look at the human response of Jesus in John 11, 32 through 36. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that a common response from people? Lord, my brother, he died, and I know you could have healed him, Lord. I know you could have healed him. If you were only here, Lord, if you'd only showed up. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with their weeping. Listen to this. Are you ready for the very human Jesus? Are you, very for the, are you ready for the very heart of Christ toward us and who we are? He groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And it is, in case you're wondering, the very shortest verse in the whole Bible. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So what do we see? Jesus wept over the loss of a dear, close, loved friend. Jesus had the same emotions and the same feelings as we have to this very day when some loved one or some relative or somebody that we know and care about a lot dies and we mourn and we cry and we get sad. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus reacted in the same way. He was still a man. Although he was God, he was still a man. That's why... The Bible says of Christ in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, Seeing now that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted, and he can now sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Jesus went through the same struggles as we go through daily. And he felt the same emotions that we feel daily. Anything you've experienced, any hurt, any pain, any emotional distress, any, you know, distance from God maybe, any hurt, any pain, whatever, Jesus felt them all too. He was in all ways tempted, yet without sin. Because of this, he can now sympathize with us when we are weak, and he can help us. So, what does that tell us? Whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're having a problem with, whatever pains, whatever hurts, no matter what, whatever you are struggling with in your life, Jesus Christ can help you get through it. Because he was there. And unless somebody goes through the same thing you go through. But Lord, I, I don't, Pastor Ed, I, I lost my brother 20 years ago. And, and, and Pastor Ed, I just, I don't know what to do. I, God, why did God allow him to be taken away? I, I heard so much, I still miss him 20 years later. Jesus said, oh yeah? I lost people that I love too. Yeah, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. Let's talk about it. There's a reason, life, death. He can comfort you, though, because he's been where you are or been where we have been. 
and he's faced it all so he can sympathize with us in everything that we struggle with. And not only that, Jesus shows us here that we don't even have to worry about coming to him at an inconvenient time. Read verses 13 and 14 starting at but he. Verse 13, but when the multitude... Verse, thir uh, verse 13, but when, yes. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Look at this love. Look at this love. Now, we already talked about Jesus can sympathize with you with whatever you're struggling with with whatever problem that you're going through, with whatever pain or suffering that you're going through, he can already sympathize with you because you're going through that, because he went through the same thing. But you may be saying, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, I, I got, you know, maybe, maybe there's a better time to approach God than not. Well, not by this situation, not by this verse and a half that we just read here. Because you see, these people came to him while Jesus was needing to mourn himself. Jesus was in pain. Jesus was suffering because of the loss of his awesome cousin, John the Baptist, who was also a great soldier of God. Jesus needed to get off on his own, and Jesus needed to weep and mourn and be by himself and get alone and talk to God. Lord God, Oh, I know it had to be, but Lord, it hurts so bad. John the Baptist is dead. Oh, Lord, help me through this. And now here come the multitudes. Right when Jesus needs to mourn himself, here comes the multitudes. And they have needs. And they have wants. And they have pains. And they have desires. And they come to Jesus at a completely Horrible time. And yet, verse 14, that's where we get the title of our message. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He could have said, he could have stepped out, he could have walked out, and he could have said, hey guys, listen, not a good time. Come back in a couple days after my time of mourning is over. I can't help you right now. I'm hurting. Didn't you hear? John the Baptist is dead. I loved him, but he didn't. How would you have handled this situation? Think of the last time you wanted to be alone and mourn for somebody that died in your life that you really loved and you really cared for. Think of that last time. And then just think of yourself right there in the midst of a horrible, 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 the way you felt, your horrible emotional state, you're a wreck, right? You're a wreck. You're weeping, you're mourning. If you're a lady, maybe you had makeup on, you're crying, and all the mascara is running down your eyes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, your hair is disheveled. Maybe you haven't showered in a few days. Because you're so distraught, you can't even just pick yourself up off the couch to go and, you know, to get up and do anything. Maybe you're like that. Maybe that's how you felt. Maybe that's how you're feeling. And all of a sudden you hear a knock at the door and you, you open up the front door and there's, here's, here's a, about 15,000 people standing there 
going, hey, can we use your restroom? Hey, you got anything to eat for me in the fridge? Hey, we got some sick people back here. Can, can we grab some Band-Aids? Got some people, they got some cuts and some bruises. Can you help us out here, man? We, we really need some help. You're the only, nobody else is home. And we tried, checked everywhere. Come on, can we, can we come in? Well, I can just tell you right then and there, I'd slam the door and call 911. I wouldn't have opened the door. I wouldn't let those people in. Not if I was feeling like Jesus did here. Not if I was feeling like Jesus did right here. It takes a pretty much here for Jesus. He gets alone, sends his disciples away. Gets in a boat, goes to a deserted place to be all by himself. He does this for a reason. That means I don't want to be bothered by nobody. But then they find him when they come to him. And instead of pushing them away, even in his stressful situation and in his saddened, lowly state, he was moved with compassion for them and he served them in their needs. Jesus needed time to mourn and be alone and talk to his father about his pain, yet he shows us here that because of his love for mankind, because of his love for people, he puts mankind's needs above his own needs. Jesus was selfless. If you want to see what selflessness looks like, Go to the New Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see somebody that was completely unselfish. Completely. Jesus didn't have a selfish bone in his body. Not even one. He was completely selfless. Jesus completely lived what he spoke in Matthew 20, 27 and 28, where he says... He says this, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. So if you want to be great amongst, the, amongst these disciples, Jesus tells his disciples, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And you can say, or to be a slave to mankind. Because that's exactly what he did here. In our scripture today, Matthew 14 and 13 and 14 and even 15, he slaved over the needs of these people that came to him. And then he goes on to say, and to give his life a ransom for many. So I'm going to start saying something that's going to kind of be a trend all the way throughout. So if you guys want to say amen and get excited about it, that's okay. I thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amen. I thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amazingly, we even see more of his selfless love for mankind in verse 15. Let's go on. When it was evening, we have to stop there for a second. When it was evening, what does that tell you about what happened here? When it was evening. Jesus ministered to these people from the daytime all the way till it was evening. So he didn't just serve them for an hour or for two hours or for a half hour. Jesus served them all day long. From the early morning to the evening 
Jesus served them all day long. And remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We've already talked about that. So what's the good news for us in what we see here? We can't tire him out, guys. We can't tire God out by coming to him whenever, wherever, any time of the day, any time of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, in traffic at noon, whenever, wherever, if we're in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean or we're in the midst of the desert, wherever we are, at any time of the day, at any time of the night, we can never tire him out by our coming to him. With our what? Our needs. What did these people have? They had needs. They had pains. He healed their sick. So if they're sick, they're in pain. He healed their needs. He healed their pains. Even the concerns that they had in their lives. Just how about life itself? How about that? Doesn't life get you down sometimes? Life, right? Life. What, what goes wrong in life? Oh, um, everything. How's that? So no matter when, no matter where, no matter how much, no matter what time, we can come to Christ whenever, wherever, no matter what we have to say, and we can tell him how we're feeling, and he never will turn us away, ever. Remember we talked about last week, God doesn't take vacations. God doesn't have to go to the bathroom. God doesn't ever sleep. His line's never busy. Right? Line's never busy. Oh, wait, you, you know how when you call that business that you really, beep, 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 beep. Oh, man, I guess I got a call back. Not our God, guys. Not Jesus Christ. His line is never busy. He never looks at his clock when you're coming to him for prayer and go, ah, oh, my child, can, can, you, can you come back in a half hour? I just tied up right now with, you know, running of the universe and everything, and I've got these other 10 million people over here that already got my ear. Uh, he doesn't say that. God says, whenever and whatever you have, come to me. And so I say again, I thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. I thank God for Jesus. Now, unfortunately... As we've looked at the love of God and the love of Christ Jesus, you know, for God, we have just the opposite, as we keep reading in our scripture, as we look at the disciples. So if you guys want to read verse 15 with me, again, well, after evening, his disciples, let's read it. His disciples, then his, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, and they may go into the villages and buy themselves from some food. So what do we see here? Enter the disciples. Enter the selfish, self-conceited, I only care about me, maybe Jesus too. Uh, you know, I care about him too. Uh, after all, we, we decided to follow him. Enter the selfish disciples. I've only decided to follow Jesus, me, us and Jesus, and that's it. Get, get, Lord, get everybody else away and let them go. Let them take care of themselves. After, you know, after all, it's getting late, you know, Lord, and they're probably hungry, so, you know, send them off and, and let them all go on there and, you know, take care of themselves. Selfish. 
Selfish disciples. That's how I see them here. Selfish. Why do I say that? They come to Jesus and immediately they start commanding him to stop serving the people and their needs and to send them away. They immediately come. What are you doing, Jesus? Look at how many people. Send them away. They got to eat. You can't keep. What are you, what are you doing? Like, like, hello, Lord. Don't you realize you can't do this all day long? Hello. Come on, Jesus. Look at 15. His disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour's already late. Send the multitudes away. Do you realize there, God showed me this when I was studying for this, do you realize there they commanded Jesus to do something? Send the multitudes away. That's a command. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, you know, Lord, it, aren't you tired? You know, you, we haven't seen you, you know, in a day, and, and you've been here. How long have these people been around you? It looks like you're tired. Look, look at all these people. You know, do you think it, I mean, maybe it's wise, Lord, because, you know, after all, this is God Almighty in the flesh we're talking about here. But then what do they do? They command him to send these people away. They're, they're really serious around here. They're really serious about this business. They're serious about getting Jesus to stop serving the people and, and to you know, send them away so they don't, they're not there anymore. They want Jesus to stop serving the people right when he was in the middle of doing this. By the way, in case you're wondering, this is a good, uh, good picture of a look at mankind. As I said earlier, people naturally selfish. People concerned about their own needs. That's generally, that's people. God, on the other hand, Jesus Christ, on the other hand, naturally, by their nature, selfless. And concerned about their, and, and, and he and God and Christ are concerned about people's needs and the well-being of his creation. Not his own needs, not what do I want, not what do I have to have. God and Christ are concerned about you. About your needs, about your concerns, about your pains, about your hurts, about the way you're suffering. He's concerned about you. And you. He's not concerned about him. The Bible talks about how God mourns. God is saddened every time somebody plummets to hell. Every time somebody rejects him, saddens God. It, it makes him sorry. He's sorrowful when people turn away from him and they don't come to him. But we don't hear him complaining about it. He states it in the, in the word about that and then he moves on. And what is he more concerned with? He's more concerned about why they're doing it. Let's get them back. People, please come back. In me, you can have peace. Look what you can have in me. I'll protect you. I'll lo I love you. I'll give you my grace. I'll, 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 everything I have, my riches, my glory in heaven are all yours. Come to me. Better for you to be with me than it is to be away from me. Come, please come. God's selfless people are selfish. Now this time, I thank God for God. I can thank God for God, and I can thank God for Jesus Christ. And amen, and amen, and amen. Because God, so, God is so good. Read verse 16 with me. But Jesus said to them, 
But we see Jesus' response. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. What did he say? Jesus responds to their selfishness, and he tells them flat out, no. They're not going anywhere. Absolutely not. In fact, you give them something to eat. So why did he say that? And that's pretty, pretty harsh. I mean, after all, there's a lot of people here. The title in the New King James Version says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then we'll get to that in a second. It was actually probably more around 15,000. I'll explain why. I believe Jesus told them this because he was angry with them for their selfishness. I believe Jesus was angry because they were being selfish instead of selfless. Selfless, excuse me, like he's, that's a tongue twister. Selfless. I believe Jesus was telling them, I was serving them with, self, or with selfless love. Now you, I want to do the same. I believe Jesus was saying, I am love, guys. The Bible says that God is love. Jesus was saying here, I am love. And I love them. So love them as I do. You take care of their needs as I have been doing. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now after all, there was a whole sea of people here. Fishers of men, this was, this was their opportunity to shine. They should have jumped in. They should have jumped in and they should have said, Lord, how can we help you minister to all these people? We don't want you to do this on your own anymore because we love you. How can we minister with you to help them in their need, in their time of need? Look, there's these sick people over here. Look, oh, oh Jesus, you haven't gotten to this quadrant. What can we do for them, Lord? But they didn't. Remember, send them away. So that they can go take care of themselves is really what the disciples said. Send them away that they can go take care of themselves. You stop serving them. What are you doing? There's, and that, this is not the only time that they did that. And I believe here that Jesus Christ didn't even believe that they were going to do this. That he knew absolutely without a shadow of a doubt that they were not going to have the faith to feed these people. He knew it. He knew that they were going to flounder. He knew that they weren't going to have the food. Why did he say it? Again, he's trying to show them. He wanted them to know his heart of love and compassion and service to these lost souls that were around him. He wanted them to be like him. That's what it means, the Bible says, to be a follower of Christ is to become like Jesus. It's called sanctification. If you're in Christ, you've probably noticed, wow, I, I, I can't sin as much as I used to. Well, that's because God's Holy Spirit's living in your life and you're moving away from sin and to be more like God and, and more into perfection. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He said, follow me and I will make you. Another section of Scripture, he said, follow me and I will make you. Fishers of men. Notice they weren't that way naturally, but he was going to make them into something. Right here, he's still trying to make the disciples fishers of men, and they just weren't getting it. <laughs> Verse 17. Let's read it. And he said to them, 
And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Can you hear him now? This is, this is their response to Jesus' command. But, 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 but Lord, what? We only have five loaves of bread and, 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 and two fish. I, 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 we need to give him some mental help. I mean, Lord, how, how can we do that? Well, we only have a few loaves of bread here and, and some fish. And there's, look at all these people. Oh my gosh. There's not enough food here to feed them all. Well, how do you want us to do that? We, we can't do that. To them, Jesus gave an impossible command. Impossible. You know, in their defense, as I already referenced earlier, we read verse 21, and we'll jump ahead early because it, it fits right here. Verse 21 of our scripture. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. If you do the math, the guys would have probably gone out with their wives, and at least each family would have probably had one kid. Well, let's do the math. If there's 5,000 men, besides from women and children, there could have easily been at least, maybe more, now that God is showing me, at least 15,000 people that were all gathered together around him here while he was doing this, while he was serving them in this deserted place. And think about it, God just showed me this. If this is a deserted place, that means there's no real boundaries. People, as they came, could have seen, oh, there's room to still come. The thing that would stop people from coming would be more, you know, things, uh, you know, structures, landmarks. You know, if he was gathered together, there'd only be so much room by the sea. But in this place, he was in a deserted place. People could have just kept coming, kept coming, and kept coming. And then, you know, remember in the New Testament, as we hear about the lepers that get healed and, and the demon possessed man that gets healed, what do they do? They went away and they told, hey, guys, look at, what I, look at what just happened to me. I can walk. You know, I was paralyzed and, and now I can walk. So you got that aspect too. You got people that were getting healed that he was healing that were maybe running off and going, look, hey, guys, come on. Jesus, he's out here. You're, you're sick. Come on, he can heal you. Bringing hundreds more. This might have been an accumulation thing all day long. There could have been 20, 25,000 people here. I can't blame them. Lord, we only have a few fish. How are we going to feed all these people, Lord? Oh my gosh. Verse 18, he said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. What did he say? Okay, you can't do what I told you to do. Then give me the food. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Jesus says, get out of the way and let me keep loving on them. Let me keep serving them. Bring the food to me and I'll serve and love these people as I was before you got here. Disciples, you're lost. You need lots of help. Get out of the way. Then bring them here to me. That was a direct command. Bring them here to me. I'll show you how to have compassion for these people and how to love them and how to serve them. And in verse 19, then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke it. Lord God, 
bless this meal and, and, and multiply it, Lord, whatever he prayed. And the disciples, and he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Jesus takes the service of these people back over. He puts it back in his own hands. He got the disciples out of the way. Notice here, he doesn't even command the disciples to go and command them what to do. He commands the crowds to go sit down. So basically, they were all kind of behind him, probably cowering like, well, he just put us in our place. We, we, we couldn't even do a simple thing. Feed him. I mean, it's not simple, but I mean, but he's still serving him. Oh, they were probably brains were on tilt. They had no idea what was going on. They, Jesus just said, basically, get behind me and let me take over again. He commands the people. Normally, his disciples served him. He would tell the disciples, do this. All the prophets in the Old Testament would do that. They would say, hey, go do this, Gehazi, or go do that, so on and so forth. And then the, the servant would go and serve the prophets. Here, Jesus said, servants, get behind me. I'm going to show you how to serve. I'll show you how to love them. I'll show you how to have compassion on them. I'll show you. Get out of the way. Hey, people, let's go. Hey, hey, people, sit down right here. Sit here, sit here, sit here, sit there, sit here. He takes the five loaves. He takes the two fish and he blesses them and breaks them. And then finally, he lets his disciples have a little piece of the action. He gives the food to his disciples. And I kind of believe he only did this for the simple fact of he'd be one man trying to hand out fish and loaves of bread to 25,000 people. And it would it had taken him three days to do it. But at, at 12 people doing it, they'd have had it got a lot, done a lot faster. So Jesus said, all right, now that you've seen me work, all right, come on. Give the food. Give it out. Do what I tell you now. They were probably, they were speechless. As we read here in Scripture, they were speechless. They didn't have any words to say. They just did as they were told. Verse 20. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. So Jesus does here the miracle of multiplication with the food. He multiplies five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds well over 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Wow. Wow. The amount of food that he would have produced in this one day could have probably fed a whole city for a month. And if there had been cities there, he would have just kept producing food. Because with Jesus, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is no end to what he can produce. He spake everything that you know into existence as you know it. Not only did he feed all the mass amounts of people with the grain of sands worth of food... But he does it here, look here, with 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Double wow. Double wow. So think about it. 15 to 25,000 people. Feeds them all so much, and then he just doesn't stop. He goes overboard. Not only feeds them all until they were full, so they all ate and were filled. So this wasn't a breadcrumb, in case you're wondering. Oh, he, he gave them a, a, you know, a pencil tip amount of bread, you know, and one scale of each one of the fish. He fed them all until they were filled. 
And depending on how big, how much do people like to eat, which people generally like to eat, this was a lot of food. A lot, a lot, a lot of food. He does it as is such, where he gives them 12 baskets full of food left over. As a side note, and I've heard different things in the past, I believe a little something about those 12 baskets of fragments. I really do. Because why was it 12? And why didn't he just produce until the exact need was met and, you know, everybody was filled? You know, you could say, well, did Jesus not know when everybody was full? I mean, after all, I mean, he was God in the flesh. I mean, he probably knew when the last stomach was full and, oh, okay, I can stop making food. I have a kind of a little side thing that I think God showed me about these 12 baskets of food left over. I think he was making a statement to his disciples. I think he was making a powerful statement to these 12 disciples that follow him. What was it? Each one had to carry a basket as a reminder not to be selfish and to live and love like him. I kind of look at it like this. I think God showed me this. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I just think this is one of the reasons. Carry your shame of selfishness. Carry it, each one of you. See, you said it was impossible. Look what I did. I fed them all, and there's 12 extra baskets full of food. They, They didn't just have a couple pieces of bread in them. The Bible says here they were full of food. So they were 12 extra baskets full of food. Carry your shame of selfishness and remember, disciples, I am love. Love the people like I do and serve them like I have and have compassion on them like you saw me do. Wow. Praise be to God. Remember what I told you about that worship song we sang before about the love of God and how much God loves us and how that, this message was going to be focused on the, the love of God. Isn't that amazing how the Holy Spirit did that, how he, how, he, you know, how he played that song for us and we got to worship the Lord with that song and it was all about love. Today's service has all been about God's complete, undying, selfless love and sacrifice for his people. For us, guys, that's how much God loves us, too. That we can come to him anytime, anywhere, with whatever we've got. With whatever problems we're having. God moved on my heart this morning as I wrote, as I wrote this just this morning. And he moved on my heart and he said, look at this song. Bring, and he brought back to remembrance this song that we've listened to here in this church. And I went and looked at the lyrics. And and this song, I think, bits of this song, it all does, but it's an old kind of old hymn that they was remade into a newer song. But listen to what they say about the love of God here. It's a song by a group named Mercy Me. And the name of the song is The Love of God. That's the name of the song. Just some lyrics, four different ones out of the whole, you know, song. It's not a very long song. Listen to what they said in their song. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can even ever tell. The love of God is greater than my mouth can speak or my pen can ever write. The love of God is greater than even the words that God has for us 
in his holy Bible. This is even just a drop of the love that God has shown for mankind in this book right here. Just a drop. The song goes on to say, it goes beyond the highest star. Okay, guys, we don't even know how far the highest star is in the galaxy. His love goes behind, beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. No matter how far you get away from God, He still loves you. No matter how far you can go away from Him and then turn around, He'd stand there, tap you on the shoulder, and say, hey, here I am. You, did you think you could get away from me? A couple more bars. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. His love to write it with the ocean's waters. There would be no more water left in the ocean. In case you're wondering, the earth is anywhere from 60 to 75% water. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. So a scroll is what they used to write on in the old days. And if you started writing the love of God in this scroll, you could stretch the scroll from one end of the sky to the other end of the sky, and you still wouldn't be able to contain the whole of God's love, even though every inch of the scroll could be written on, and, and it would cover the whole sky. That's how great the love of God is for us, for people. Remember John 16, or 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, gave, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But look at the action of love here. It wasn't a word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Son. God didn't just love us by word. God just didn't love us in thought. God loved us in action. His love for us caused him to do things. His love for us while he was mourning, while he was in a terrible place, while he was hurting and in pain, he saw the multitudes come to him. Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. The greatest love ever is the love of sacrifice. And Christ showed us his love by his sacrifice that he made for us on a daily basis. And he did it. Not while you were a righteous person or, or while you were holy, while you were this great, wonderful person and just helped all these people. He did it while we were unrighteous, unsaved, and still in our unholiness and in our sin. For Romans 5, 6-8 declares, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Notice, demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Think of that love that he has for us. And since Adam and Eve, to the very last person, just born, oh, right now, he loves everybody the same. And died for all. While you were yet still a sinner, Christ died for you, ungodly person. That's how much he loves you. The love of God in Christ Jesus is amazing. I have to bring up the gospel. For God so gave, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Remember, Jesus Christ saw us in our despair, in our sin, in our evil, in our wickedness. And he said, I love those people. I want to win them to myself. Sends Christ Jesus down to this planet to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death and to resurrect the perfect resurrection so that he sits at the right hand of the Father to this very day. And he did it all to save your soul. He did it all so that you and me and everybody in the face of the planet can have peace with God. He lived and died and rose again to give us life, to give us peace with God for you in closing today we can hear about the love of God all day long we can hear about how much God loves us we can hear about how much Jesus did for us do you have faith brethren do you have faith people are you responding to what Christ did and is still doing for mankind even to this very day. The Bible says it's not just enough to know that Christ loves you. It's not enough to have the knowledge of this great thing that he did for us. I mean, it's wonderful to know, but wisdom not applied is foolishness. If you do not apply what you know, you're a, you're a tremendous fool. Only a fool doesn't do what he knows. Are you responding to the love of Christ that he has shown and is showing you? Because we have to respond to it. Jesus is calling and crying out to people to this very day. He says, come to me my man. Come to me, my child. I love you. I did all these things for you. I'm calling out to you. You'll have a better life with me. I'll give you real peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding, the Bible says. I was telling a pastor just the other day, you can't buy peace. All the money in the world can't buy you one ounce of peace. 
Money can be a temporary type of peace on earth, but you'll always want more. It's never a real lasting peace that you can rest in because it's only temporary. You know that when you die, you can't take it with you. You know that when you die, you can't take one dime to the grave and unto eternity. One penny or 20 zillion dollars doesn't guarantee you one spot in heaven. So no matter how much money you could have, no matter how much food you could have, no matter how much gold or silver or stocks or bonds or anything that you could have, won't win you one iota of merit before God. And it won't give you lasting peace either, like Christ will and does. And he says, I don't care where you've been. I don't even really care about the state that you're in now, except for the state that you're in now is away from me if you're not with him. He says, I care about you coming to me today and about your future, about where you're going to be tomorrow, about your eternity, my child. I can fix all the things in the past. I can make you whole again. I'll show you a love that you've never even seen before, ever. I'll love you in a way you've never been loved by any man, woman, or child on the face of the planet since birth to death. I'll love you more than they. His love's a true love, a sweet love, an intimate love. And he's so full of grace. So I ask you today, if you're not walking with him, if you're not surrendered to him, will you please surrender to him and respond to his love for you today? Will you surrender to him today? Will you fall down on your knees? Will you cry out to him and say, God, I can't, I don't want to, I, I can't handle this anymore. I, I, I just, I've been doing my life all by my own. I've, I live for me, but I don't want to, I, I need you. I need peace. I need the peace that you offer and only you offer. I can't go another minute without it. I need it. Please. Jesus, I need you. He gave up his life for you. Will you give up your life to him? It's a trade. He's already done his part. You know, ever been a kid and, you know, when you're playing a game and you say, oh, let's trade. And, you know, the other kid's a teaser and he has a, he has a stick of gum maybe and, and you've got a, a baseball. And he says, I'll give you this stick of gum if you give me that baseball. And the one kid says, uh, okay, and, and they're trying to put it in each other's hands so that the, the baseball and the, the stick of gum go right away because the one kid's the, the, that's the teaser, he could, he could say, oh, oh, here's the baseball. And then the other kid goes, oh, I, I got the gum. I, I'm not going to give it to you now. I got the gum and the baseball. <laughs> well, God has already done his part. He's already put his love. He's already put his grace. He's already put his promise there. He's already placed it there. He's not taking it back. All he says, will you lay your life down there next to it and give it to me? There, my hand's not even on mine anymore. Will you, will you lay yours down for me? Will you lay yourself down to me? Will you surrender to me? Here I am. Please come to me. Arms outstretched still. Nail marks in his hands. He says, God, please, people, come to me.
I love you so much. Please come to me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy, Lord. This is the saying that you've given me in my mouth, Lord, that you pour out upon all mankind. And you're still pouring that grace and your mercy out upon mankind all the time, every day. Your hands are outstretched still with the nail marks in the hands. You're saying, come to me, I'll hold you. I'm so strong and I can handle all your problems. Would you please just come to me right now? I need you to come to me. I want you. I love you so much. I don't want you to be destroyed in the end. I don't want you to have to face my wrath. Lord, you're you're crying out to people even right now. Your heart is that none should perish and all would come to repentance. Lord, I pray right now for anybody that's listening that's not surrendered unto you and they're still running their own life. And they're still doing their own thing, even though they know those hands are outstretched still. Lord, I pray before they die, even this very day, Lord God, they wouldn't wait another moment because they don't know if they're going to live tomorrow. I pray this very day, Lord God, that they would surrender to you. And they would fall on their knees and cry out to you. and Stick their hands to heaven and cry out to you, Jesus, I need you. I, change me. I don't want to be this way anymore. I need you. I've messed up my whole life, Lord. I, I need you. Please fix me. Lord, and if you hear that prayer, Lord God, you're there. In a, in a blink of an eye, Lord God, you're there. And then you can say, well done, my servant, oh, my child. And you can inhabit them and you can come into them and you can say, oh, my child, I love you. We'll never be apart ever again. Lord, please. Inhabit some today, Lord. I pray some would cry out to you today. I just pray for the salvation of many souls even right now across this world. I pray, Lord God, that you draw all men to yourself and use this sermon to do so, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.